Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is for customer service only and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Ng Associates, a registered investment advisor. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 20 years' experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I have an MBA in finance, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro, and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. We're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. We are right here up every Friday afternoon. So you can get us on uh, moneymd.net and iTunes up every Friday. Yeah, you can also go to our website, moneymd.net. There's a link on the right-hand side. You can click that, and it takes you to the podcast website, Steve, where we have all the podcasts uh, historically, and we have them categorized by different topics. So you can uh, sit there and listen to them on your computer, or you can download them to your uh, iPod or iPad. No excuse. You whatever. can go back and listen. That's right. You can listen to us any way you want. A lot want of ways. And, um, go back and listen to the old shows. Just no excuse for not listening to the Money Doctors and getting some of this great uh, prescriptions. That's some right. Of these great got prescriptions. a lot of them. Certainly do. You can also reach us by email. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net, or you can link to us on our website, again, at moneymd.net. Um, but we'd love to have your questions. Well, John, I, I think we have a great show again lined up for today. Um, you know, we're going to jump into the the talking about financial freedom. Um, and there are five things that typically keep people from achieving financial freedom. So we're going to go through that. As you can imagine, some of that's debt. Mm-hmm. And uh, But these are very, very important. So stay tuned for that. It's a good topic. Yeah, and we're going to follow that up with uh, an article out of CNBC talking about uh, bad financial advice from family and friends. Ooh, we see this all the all time. All the time. It's, it, is, um, it happens. I mean, there, it, finances are complicated. There's no doubt. There's a lot of information out there, a lot of misinformation. And so you got to be really, really careful. So we're going to walk through some examples uh, both uh, in the article as well as personal. We'll share some, some stories that we've heard as well. And um, you want to stick around for that because you can get yourself into trouble. You certainly can. There's always an expert in the family somewhere. that They think they're an expert. And, uh, you know, they can they can get you out there on a limb. So yeah, Uncle, be Uncle Timmy doesn't know as much as he thinks sometimes. You want to be careful <laughs> about those tips from family members. No doubt. All right, but we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this has to do with the uh, stock market returns in December. So some people say, hey, the Santa Claus effect, everybody's happy and joyous and so forth. But 20 of the last 25 Decembers have produced a positive total return for the S&P 500. Uh, The average December performance since 1991 is about um, 1.8%. Nice. So for one month, that's a very healthy return fantastic so 20 out of 25 so does that mean it's going to be positive this december steve well it sounds like i have a 75 (laughs) percent chance john yes you do yes you do does that mean you're going to go all in you're i like my yeah you don't 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 make decisions based on that fact though but it is interesting that december is typically historically a positive month but i mean sometimes it can be negative and it can be very negative as well it's depending on what's going on in the economy absolutely and we do have a couple things going on in the news lately don't we (laughs) we do have a couple things going on in the news lately okay well that was a great fact of the week but that leads us up here to our first topic and that is the five things that keep you from financial freedom 
Um, John, you know, there's a lot of things that financially hinder us from having financial freedom. Yes. And, uh, you know, as our men and women are out there fighting around the world to protect our our freedoms around the world from terrorism and other threats, it serves a reminder that we've got to be vigilant to protect our financial freedoms in our lives. And one of the things that really hampers people with financial freedom is debt. It's one of the major threats to our freedom. And, you know, the average American household carries a debt of $203,000. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot. From financial baggage such as mortgages, credit card balances, and student loans, according to uh, a study that was just recently released. And what's more harling is that figure doesn't even account for some of the other types of debt such as auto loans and personal loans that further weigh down the average individual. Yeah, that's a big number. And when you total it up, it's even larger. $11 trillion is the total and um, you know you can certainly chip away at this uh, insurmountable amount at a personal level, and you got to recognize the attitudes and some of the reasons why you're in debt in the first place. And you can free yourself from the financial paralyzing debt that uh, most American households have, but it's going to take a focus to get there. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, getting rid of this kind of debt in a short period of time, you know, may not be reasonable for everybody, but you can get started now and you can start making some small changes that will make a world of difference over your lifetime and will save you thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars over your lifetime. So here are five things that are keeping Americans captive and far from the financial freedom that can change our lives. So the first one is student loan debts. Uh, this is a big one, as you know, John. I mean, getting you know accepted to a prestigious school is always something that college-bound students strive for and strive to accomplish. But attending an elite university, while it's admirable, um, it's a very expensive way to go to to college. You're talking about South Carolina here, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, the, I thought the, you were the referring to the South Carolina, right? In exactly. Columbia, just making sure. <laughs> Clemson, you know. Yeah, Clemson's well, up there. Those are not expensive. Those are state-sponsored yeah. schools. And we're talking about private schools right. and Ivy League schools. But even with the state-sponsored school, as you know, I mean, it's very, very expensive. It is. It is. Right. And our, our, um, one of our ways that we suggest that people save on college money, as we've talked about many times, is to go locally to try to keep that debt down and go a couple years locally and then transfer to a, a bigger university. Um, but according to the 2015 American Household Debt Study, the average household with student loans owed over $48,000 mm. in loans. That's a lot. That's over $1.2 trillion in student loan debts nationwide. If it was only free. Yeah, exactly. Who, who exactly. Had then nobody had to pay for it. That'd be great. That's right. The colleges like would give it for free, right? I like it. Yeah, it just could have been free. Yeah, oh darn. Well, I guess it's not <laughs> going to be that with the election. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> so what can we do about that? Well, it might be too late to start your college at the cheaper two-year college locally, as we talked about. But what you can do, if you're if you're making payments to your loans, um, you can make extra principal payments to right. your loans, Right. 
and but you need to write to your lender to make sure those extra principal payments are going toward principal and not toward future interest. Yeah, absolutely. So if you are making those extra payments, you're on the right track. I mean, that's what you have to do in order to get this down. The problem is, is your good intentions may not be benefiting the way you expect. So as you said, you got to make sure the lenders are putting this towards the principal and not any of the interest that you've accrued. So, you know, make sure it's going to take a phone call and you're probably going to have to walk through it with someone. But that's a very important item to make sure it's going against the principal. Yeah, and one way you can do that is by writing a letter. So while you're relaxing this weekend, watching your favorite football team win, um, you know, write a letter. Ask your lender to apply any monthly overpayments directly to your student loan principal exclusively. So you can type that out on your smartphone while you're mm-hmm. eating chips and watching football. And then, you know, when you get done with your football game, uh, transfer that to your computer and yeah, shoot send it, it off in a in a letter to your lender. So that was number one, student loan debts. The next thing, though, John, is keeping people uh, encumbered and from reaching their financial freedom is credit card debt. Credit cards can be helpful, of course, whenever you're taking trips and you're using the points and you're tracking your spending with your budget. But they can help you limit your risk of fraud, too, and they can provide you some extra protection on some of your purchases. However... Too often, credit card holders get carried away with their purchases. They end up costing themselves far more than the benefits they accrue over time because they run up a balance mm-hmm. and they start getting charged interest. So even shoppers that want to want to swear to pay off their, their cards every single month in full, they often forget how much they've accumulated on the card and they can't pay their entire bill during that cycle. And that leads to leads to interest payments. Mm-hmm. So that's a problem. So what can you do? Um, If you know you've made a few early Christmas charges on your card, avoid the risk of getting um, stuck in the credit card debt by paying off your purchases as soon as you leave the store. Um, So you can make multiple payments to your credit card, um, transfer them from your bank account, get those paid off immediately. Um, Use your smartphone to track your your payments, make a speedy payment the same day um, so that you never spend more than you can afford on your credit card. That's step one. Yeah, that's good. Another one here on the list, Steve, is keeping up with the Joneses. And, uh, you know, one of the latest gadget, the newest model car, it's a trap. And it seems harmless, but deeper, you know, behavioral concerns are at play when you're spending thousands of dollars to keep up with the Joneses. I mean, you know, when, what you may forget that we talked about earlier is that most Americans have over $200,000 in household debt, and so the Joneses probably have that as well, and they're probably not any more well-off than you are, and uh, the need to, to one-up each other is deepening the financial burden. So don't don't compare. There's always going to be someone with more money. If you have a lot, then go look at Buffett. I mean, there's just, you know, <laughs> it just doesn't a, work. There's to, always somebody who has more, exactly. <laughs> so you got to be satisfied with where you are. Stuff doesn't make you happy. Exactly. That's exactly right. Don't try to keep up the Joneses. So if you haven't already, I mean, open a separate online savings account for your monthly discretionary spending allowance. Um, You know, this should only be for small percentage of your monthly income that's truly discretionary, like eating out, um, clothes, vacations, and then only spend out, spend out that amount um, for those discretionary expenses, and when it's gone, you stop spending. So that's the way you track your discretionary spending and and protect yourself from um, just just going overboard mm-hmm. with your monthly spending and not being able to keep track of it or keep control of it. Um, you can also do the envelope system. 
Um, you can spend cash for those discretionary expenses. You know, that's a foolproof way to put the brakes on the casual overspending that tends to happen over time when you're trying to keep up with the Joneses. So next one here on the list is auto loan debt. Even more debt. <laughs> um, this is a big one, John. I mean, as as we've heard uh, Dave say quite a few times, right, it's you're driving the retirement. Mm-hmm. That's right. right. Uh, it's because they have a huge loan payment on their car. So um, that's also a result of trying to keep up with the Joneses is the massive auto loan debt that the current, the typical household has, especially with multiple drivers. The average auto loan amounts to about $27,000, according to Experian Automotive. Um, so if you have a couple of those, that's over $50,000 in auto loan debt for a typical household. What's worse is that the auto loan terms are getting longer and longer, with some of them ranging from six to eight years now. Gosh, eight I can't years. imagine somebody having one out eight years. It's unbelievable. So, yeah, if, for example, you've signed up for a six-year loan for a vehicle with a manufacturer's suggested retail price of $28,000, which doesn't include taxes and fees, by the way, Edmunds.com calculates that the value of your car will depreciate as much as $17,000 in the first five years. And you don't even own the car outright. Wow. That's so a big number. That's a big number. So think about it. That's about $3,400 per year just in depreciation, not including gas, tires, insurance, and maintenance. So what do you do? Well, Dave Ramsey says to buy good used cars instead of new cars to save those first few years of high depreciation. Also, work to get ahead so that you're paying cash. That's the key. Start by 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 paying extra <clears throat> well start by driving your existing car for an extra few years beyond the payoff while you build up a car fund and then pay the extra on your car payment until it's fully paid off then sock that whole payment into your car fund until you have enough for your next good used car um, $500 a month for three years gets you about $18,000 that um, can be used toward a good used car, and then once you get ahead by paying cash, keep socking that $500 a month away into your car fund every single month. Give it another six years, you're going to have over $36,000 in your car fund for a very good used car or two cars. Yeah, right. And you'll never finance a car again. That's the key. Yeah, that is. And that's unusual for people not to have car payments today. It is. That's a great strategy. Another one here on the list, Steve, to, to close this out is confusing needs with wants. And the average American family, I mean, has at least a $100 cable bill, $100 cell phone bill. That's very low. I mean, most of them are 150 to 200 that we see. Uh, several memberships um, that, that fall into the category of needs. I mean, this could be farther, this could not be farther from the truth. I mean, these are wants, every single one of them. You know, basic food, shelter, clothing, and transportation is all we really need. So, you know, you got to wake up and smell the coffee a little bit and face the truth that you got to put your priorities in place. And, you know, Dave talks about his his, uh, baby steps and those priorities are paying off debt and getting emergency funds and then going to retirement. So, you know, you got to realize the difference between a want and a need, and most things really do fall into the want category. That's exactly right. So you got to take a hard look at every single expense, determine if it's truly a need or if it's one of our many wants. And if you're not sure that it's a priority, then it'd be that's worth sacrificing your retirement over. Then you need to delay it 
or stop that expense for a month and reconsider it. Chances are you're going to forget you ever even considered it in the first place. Um, you have to have a discerning attitude about every single expense. If you want to be successful with your money, break the chains that are keeping it from achieving financial freedom. So that's our list of the things keeping you from financial freedom. Yeah, that's a good list. It is. All right. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. This question has to do with retirement planning. It says, when planning for my retirement, what rate of return should I use? And it says, I see Dave Ramsey, you know, using and talking about 12%. Yeah, we do get that occasionally. <laughs> yes, don't we? we do. We do. And so, you know, historically speaking, I mean, you can go back and look at different time periods and it's certainly been in the 10 to 12% range if you're hundred percent in equities. Uh, but as we know, past performance doesn't guarantee future results. So no, planning doesn't. wise, even if you're an aggressive investor, I mean, and you have a long time frame, I mean, I, we wouldn't go over 8%. That's right. Um, you know, and if it comes in at 10 or 11 or 12%, then you'll be a happy camper. But, um, you know, if you're a little bit more conservative from that, you know, 6% may be a good number. Just really depends on what your risk tolerance is. But, you know, the, the, the higher number you use in that analysis, the less you actually have to save. Right. right? And that's right. dangerous. So you want to be conservative, right? I mean, we hope we can get 10%, 12%. Depends on what the market gives us. But, you know, that's not realistic for most people. Most people don't have the stomach to be 100% in equities. Mm-hmm. So that would be an very aggressive posture. I would suggest, like you said, 6 8%, depending on how much you're going to have in the stock market. And for most people, 6 or 7% is probably a good number to plan on long term yep. with your investments. And then if you get 10 or, if you get 10% or 12%, you know, Wow, that'll be fantastic. Yeah, you'll be a happy camper. Exactly, exactly. So great question of the week. All right, that leads up to our next topic here, and that is bad financial advice from family and friends. No, never happens. That couldn't happen, could it? They wouldn't give you. They wouldn't. They're experts, John. They wouldn't give it to you on purpose. Well, I don't know. Maybe some of it is on purpose. You know, your brother-in-law comes in with the stock tip, or they already heard something about you know when to take your Social Security, Mm or or, yeah, using Medicare Advantage rather than Medicare. I mean, you know, everybody has an opinion, don't they? Yeah, they do. We we get these. We get a lot of uh, misinformation coming in. That's. Part of the value we add to our clients is trying to get them on the right path and get them the right answers. And, you know, so the question is, is why do people take bad financial advice from family and friends? Uh, this comes out of CNBC, by the way. And, um, you know, it's it's really hearsay, um, you know, and, and at a social gathering, there's no fact checking, right? Someone says, hey, there's a good stock tip or something's going down. Uh, money is extremely emotional. We know that. We talk about that. And people get carried away about it really more than, than anything else. And the emotional nature overrides the logic associated with it. So it's kind of like the, the election that just happened, people trying to figure out which way to go. And, you know, no one – people were predicting if Trump won that the markets were going to tank. Well, guess what? It was totally unpredictable, wasn't uh, it? They didn't. They didn't. And recently this gentleman uh, presented a retirement plan to a couple in their early 50s. And both spouses intended to work into their late 70s. And one of his recommendations was for them to delay taking Social Security until age 70. And at this, the wife said, you know, I've heard we will get nothing from Social Security after the year 2034. And she said, you know, I was also told the benefits were not taxable. So no matter what, I'm going to take it right at 62. She was adamant and she was going to take it at 62. (laughs) Apparently a conversation with a family member had kind of sent her into a a panic. And, um, you know, so he had to sit 
there for 30 to 45 minutes and explain the fact that, you know, the benefits will could be reduced after 2034 and the benefits are taxable. So she had misinformation that she was going to make decisions based on. And, and we see that a lot of times as well, you know, in trying to correct people. So you got to be careful who you take advice from. Friends and family may not be the right source. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, people listen to that kind of advice because it is about money and it's interesting and, you know, everybody cares about their money. But, I mean, telling somebody who's already mad at the world that their family and friends are not the folks to rely on in a divorce for financial advice, you know, that can be a little painful, right? Mm-hmm. And they don't they don't want to hear that. But, you know, they always get nervous when friends and colleagues start in giving investment advice or tips. I mean, we hear this all the time. People come in with some idea oh, yeah. right. that's something they've heard from their, their sister or brother-in-law or whoever, a friend or some a coworker. And a lot of times it's way off base. I had one this week and I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was dead wrong. I mean, it was something about, you know, when you could take your, I think it was maybe taking money out of your retirement plan and avoiding taxes and penalties. And it was just dead wrong advice. Mm-hmm. So you just can't believe the things that you hear from somebody that really doesn't do it for a living, you know? So. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. This this goes on to say that someone came in and said, hey, I wanted to, to, this person wanted to buy a highly recommended stock from a friend and a coworker, and they said, and he went and did some research, and it was a biotech stock. It was a penny stock, no revenues. At one point, it was worth 100 bucks, and, you know, long story short, it lost 90%. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of, you know, bad advice stories out there. We have them from, from stocks to rules on taxes and so forth. Um, you know, it, sometimes it takes, um, you know, calls and, and looking at IRS regulations and sending it to people for them to, to quote, believe you. But, you know, it is very tricky. I mean, we have to sometimes reach out to CPAs when we start getting into very detailed tax, because we don't know everything about taxes. We always mm-hmm. want to include CPAs in there. So, you know, when you hire someone, an advisor, they're typically going to be in that industry and understand it a little a little better than most people. Exactly, exactly. They said another example here on one occasion to one of their clients, a widower reported that his son wanted to be added to his bank accounts as a co-signer um, just in case something happened to him. Mm. So... Yeah, and we get this question a lot, too, because we have clients that will come in, and sometimes they're on their parents' bank account or on their parents' investment account. Um, But the ramifications can be terrible about that. Uh, And they, uh, in this case, they reminded their client that, that their son already had power of attorney. So if you already have power of attorney, you don't need to be on their bank account. And the bigger issue, though, is if your son's on, on your accounts, then the the account automatically becomes theirs. And what if there is two or three siblings, or in this case, there is four siblings that were going to be cut out of the account because the money automatically goes to the co-owner, the joint Mm -hmm. owner Mm -hmm. in that case. So you don't want to be the joint owner on your parents' accounts anyway because it, it bypasses the will and it won't go to the spouse and it won't go to any of their siblings. Um, So you got to be careful with that kind of advice, and we see that all the time. Yeah, and another issue with that, Steve, having you know co-ownership is if uh, that the the co-owner were to get sued, I mean that bank account could be considered an asset. So you've now That's opened right. up someone else's mom or dad's account to to uh, to get involved in a lawsuit. We see it with divorcing clients. I mean they they talk to non-professionals. Um, this gentleman Sewell was uh, working with a client. 
uh, on a property division, looking at two main assets, commercial property and retirement funds, and, and some issues um, occurred with it, uh, associated with it. They really had it all mapped out, and they can't, ran into some issues. Yeah, that's right. I think they had it all mapped out um, to uh, become an alternate payee, to either roll it all over or take a cash out and avoid the penalty. But the client came back and said, oh, my friend told me to that I should – you know, take the commercial property instead mm-hmm. of the, the retirement account. Well, you know, that was a bad idea, right? Because, I mean, they had it all figured out, and the future sale on the on the commercial property it was going to be questionable. The timing and the money to manage it, it was just going to complicate her situation, and it wasn't going to work for her situation. So it was terrible advice in that case. Yeah, so, I mean, the bottom line here, Steve, is when you hire someone with uh, special expertise, you got to be ready to listen to them. I mean, we, we, like I said, we reach out to CPAs and lawyers. It's very specialized. I will tell one, one story on myself. Uh, this is a couple, couple decades ago. I had a coworker who gave me a stock tip on uh, buying a company. They were really uh, close to it, and, and it was certainly one, it was not insider trading. But um, the stock went bankrupt. <laughs> Ouch, and I yeah. only put about 1000 bucks in it. But, hey, that was a significant amount of money that, you know, I made a decision based on a coworker. Well, we, so, we, we see that with clients all the time where they come in with ideas, things they've heard, um, things that, you know, they've read, you know, from one source about the stock market going up or down. Yeah. Um, they heard it over Christmas from their, their like I said, their brother-in-law or somebody like that, and they'll, they'll act on it. Sometimes we hear it after the fact, and it's too late. That's they've already right. acted on it. They've already bought gold or did whatever it is that they, that they um thought they should do and then it comes back to bite them so you know just like we would you would certainly want to trust an attorney to to, to draw up a trust document for you um you know you want to trust the cpa to handle a complex tax situation for you uh i think you know when it comes to investing and comes to financial advice you want to be very very careful i mean this is your life savings we're talking about here you know the stakes are pretty high so it's one thing if you're just going to, you know, buy a, buy, a, buy a stock with some play money or yeah. make some really minor decision. But when you start talking about big decisions, you know, in a complicated situation of divorce or, or a situation of planning for your retirement or when to take your Social Security, um, what to do with Medicare. I mean, those are complex decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, what to do with an insurance policy. <clears throat> you want to be very, very careful. You want to get some expert professional advice. And, you know, take what you hear from your family members with a grain of salt, quite frankly. Yeah, I agree. So there you go. Good, hard, good, good topic. Hard facts. Great topic. Okay, and that leads us up here to our final one, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, so, um, you know, today is uh, Black Friday, right? Yeah. Yeah, it, day after it Thanksgiving. Is, it is. Yeah, absolutely. so a lot of, a lot of good deals. Great deals on. out there. But, Jump online, right? But Do Cyber, it today. Yeah, Cyber Monday has some better deals, so don't Ooh. sleep in on Cyber Monday. So here's some things that are that are going to pre- predicted to be much better to wait to Cyber Monday. Uh, Androids. So if you're okay. looking in the, in the market for a phone, Androids. Yep. Laptops. Electronics in general. Electronics. You're say electronics, aren't you? Travel. Oh, uh, travel. Now you're talking. Travel. Golf vacations? I didn't, didn't say golf, but oh, it does say shoot. travel. Okay. It, says, uh, it does say something about Vegas. Hey, it sure. is late November, though. I mean, I yeah. bet golf vacations are getting pretty cheap. Yeah, I bet they are. Yeah, particularly up in Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're talking Florida here, okay. John. All right. I don't do Wisconsin. And then the final, uh, final two here, clothing and beauty items. 
So clothing and beauty items. Yeah, I never would have guessed that. I mean, when you th- hear Cyber Monday, right. you don't think about clothing and and travel right. and beauty items. But there are some some really good deals, and I mean, it's the, it seems like the whole Christmas season is now Black Friday and Cyber Monday. So. Oh, just the whole season. Yeah, the they whole, just yeah. stretch it out. I mean, it's like Black Friday started like a week early this year. Did you notice? that? Oh, I know. I know. I've seen no some longer, deals out there. It's no longer Black Friday. And Black. actually, they say Thanksgiving is is the the best day to buy some you know online stuff now how about that yeah so. now there's some great apps too for doing this I mean, mm-hmm. there's the black friday apps um that are out there so search your phone and get some of the apps and they'll give you the deals before they even come available of course i know it's already friday and they're already yeah. out there but cyber monday deals yeah you can see ahead of time what's going to be out there with so the if you're apps. if you're out there shopping for your new mattress don't Hit someone, don't beat someone, right? Yeah, for heaven's sake, don't go cheap on that mattress. <laughs> That's right. Get a nice mattress. Get a good mattress. <laughs> Splurge on the mattress. All right. Well, that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week uh, for more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, Richard Young Associates, 706 739 0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one.